Hey, hey, welcome back everyone to another broadcast of In the Trenches. I'm your host, Tom Morcus, and today I sit down with Jason Resnick, who is a web developer, host of the podcast Live in the Feast, and creator of the online community for freelancers, Feast. Inside Feast and through his blog and podcast, Jason helps freelancers discover their niche, plan out and market themselves, build recurring revenue, and stay in the feast. Ultimately, so they can reach their goals, connect with their why, and live the life that they've always wanted to live. And I brought Jason on the show today to talk about freelancing, what's working, what's not, both for those of you who are just getting started, maybe starting a side hustle freelancing biz to earn some extra dinero on the side, to those who are more established and looking to grow. We get into some fun stuff as well, like why I have such a tremendous respect for freelancers, because they eat what they kill, in my words, and much more. But my big takeaway from this show is something that's been actually a recurring theme with the entrepreneurs, authors, and creators I interview on this podcast, as well as those I interact with on kind of a a daily kind of client basis. And that's this, you've got to niche down at the very least to get any sort of traction from your marketing. The reason is simple. There's just so much competition out there now that to be generic is kind of well, it's just kind of a death now. And a great resume can help, a track record can help. And if you're showcasing your work and knowledge online via blog or podcast, that can all help. But unless you can get really narrow and target in on a specific subset of the market, your marketing dollars and bandwidth will vanish before you get any real traction. And you know, it might not have been the case five years ago, 10 years ago, but I think in almost every niche and industry, things are just getting more and more competitive and, and just noisy. And so to stand out, you need to really speak directly to your target market. So we break that down on today's call, as well as what you can do about it. So I'll leave it at that. Without further ado, let's get to today's interview. Jason, I want to kick things off by getting to know a little bit about your background, your backstory, how you got into this world of, of freelancing, and then also now kind of where you, where you help freelancers and, and kind of work with them and help them kind of, you know, build something on their own platforms. I know that's kind of where the conversation is going to lead today. But before we dive into that, give us some background so we can kind of get to know you a little bit better. Sure. Yeah. Um, so freelancing, it, it was the, the goal, I guess, is really what it came down to. I was in college in the 90s and you know, showing my age a little bit. But uh, you know, I was in college and I knew I wasn't meant to sit at somebody else's desk. I knew I wanted my own freedom to be able to go ahead and you know, do things that I wanted to do, spend time with family and travel and just go outside on a Tuesday afternoon because it's nice outside, you know? So um, when the web started to pick up legs in the late 90s, mid to late 90s, I was messing around, making websites, you know, just on my own. Um, and I saw a, a need there where businesses were like, hey, I want a website. And it was more like a, at that time, it was more like a pool in your backyard. It was like a nice to have, like it wasn't a necessity like it is today, but the economy was good. Businesses were spending money and I was able to throw a website together for a few hundred bucks and make some side cash. And, uh, you know, in college and right after college, you know, I was working full time, um, right after college and I was doing web development, but all, all along the side was, you know, I had my own side hustle and, um, you know, fast forward to today, there was, um, I am now, it'll be nine years come August doing this full-time for my own business. Um, I struck out on my own previously in the early 2000s, um, where the opportunity presented itself. But at that time, I wasn't ready. Like the skill set was good, but all the business like acumen that you needed about sales and marketing and 
you know, pipeline management, client management, offboarding, onboarding, all of these things, I didn't know what I was doing. Right. And so the skill set was fine. So about two years, almost two years of trying it on my own, I had to go back and get another job. So um, then in 2010, I said to myself, I was going to give to myself a birthday present, um, which is in September. And this was in January. So I was setting the goal early on in the year and saying, hey, come September, let's do this. Because I was burning the candle at both ends, working full time, was coming home, grab a bite to eat. And then working until about two, three o'clock in the morning with my own clients. So it was the right time to do so. Um, and then it was just more about, you know, how do how do I build a business that is sustainable for myself with profits, um, obviously at the forefront. And so I did so, doing various different things. Um, you know, I was a developer. Building, I was very much a generalist developer for a long time, um, and then I've specialized and niched down a few times since. But you know, being able to do that and having the flexibility to do that um, allowed me to be where I'm at today. And uh, to your question about helping other freelancers essentially do the same thing, that was sort of by accident. Uh, it was no design for me to, you know, say like, yeah, that's the path that I want to go to. But uh, I will say that that is what I'm passionate about today. Like I, I've been focused on it now for since about January 2018. Um, January 2018 was when I was like, hey, let me give that a shot. And so I couldn't, you know, just cut off the services business, but I was strategic in the way that like, Hey, I'm going to spend 20% of my week helping other freelancers, helping other developers, helping other designers, um, and sharing what I know about what works and what doesn't work and, and giving resources and doing podcasts and everything of that nature. So really just helping them with, you know, getting over hurdles that I've already gotten over. Right. So, um, and I've built a couple of products. I've built a community called Feast out of that. Um, I do one-on-one coaching, group coaching, um, really helping other developers and designers specialize their business, niching down and building predictable income into their business. It's almost one of those things where it's like once, once a freelancer, I feel like it's actually kind of hard to, uh, to let go of. So in your transition, you kind of did it progressively, right? Um, and you still do... If I'm to tell me, do you still do any like freelancing projects or have you mostly kind of that's complete and now you're on full time on the on the educational side of things? No, I I definitely do service work. I, mm-hmm. I always will. Yeah. Um one, I have awesome clients. And two, it's just ingrained in me to if I I mean development and design right now is such a fast paced business, right? Things change all the time. Strategies, you know, come and go as far as marketing and sales goes, you know, companies that you work with, they get smarter about what's going on in that world. So it changes so quickly that I feel like if I'm truly going to help somebody else, I have to be doing it too. Yeah. I think it keeps the skills sharp, right? Kind of keeps your edge. I, mm-hmm. I, I still I still do that kind of stuff as well myself. Very few and far between. I still do a lot of work, uh, or I do the majority of work is on my own stuff now. And I have a couple kind of couple of businesses that that I work on where I'm still like in it. And I think to myself like I 
at a minimum, I want to do that. I still will take on a couple of clients here and there, but it, it but in, in, in the reason I'll do that, even though I could completely, I think, shut it off. I think there's, there's just something to having your finger on the pulse in a space or a niche or an industry, especially if you are kind of a coach teacher as well mm-hmm. to, to still be doing projects. I don't know. It's one of those things where I think from the outside, maybe people don't see it or dismiss it, but it's like, it, it's something I recognize as somebody who does it. I'm like anybody who's teaching something, but not actually doing it and, and doing it like, you know, even at least part-time, I, I don't know. It's, it's one of those things where I'm not sure if I can trust them as much, but somebody right. who's still in the game, still doing it. Um, it's like, okay, I can, I can take honest feedback from them because they're still in it. And, and the reality is in the space where, and I'm, I'm sure you've seen this, you've been, because you've been doing it for so long. It's like, since, you know, if you think about it since the nineties until now, I'm sure that just the nature of freelancing has changed. Right. Oh, oh, absolutely. I mean, when, (laughs) when I I started freelancing, um, you know, even everybody felt sorry for you. Like they looked at it, like it was just like, Oh, that's (laughs) That's funny. Really? Is that, is that really what you want to do? You know, like, or how's that working for you? Or, you know, those kind of responses. Um, but nowadays, you know, it's, it's definitely more acceptable. Um, there was more of a, you know, in the early days, I mean, I would even say like, even in 2010, you know, maybe 20, you know, like 2008, right. Um, just prior to me going, you know, being established at this point, but 2008, it was more like, even still, you kind of had to prove to clients or potential clients that you weren't going to flake out on them. And, you know, this is what you want to do. And so, yeah, I mean, nowadays it's more acceptable. Big businesses hire, you know, developers and designers on contract. Um, you know, they they almost look for it now. Maybe more, a lot more so than they did in the past. Um, which, to your point, back then I used to look at job boards of businesses that were looking for specific development that I knew I can do, but they were looking for either part timers or full timers. And then I would go to them and present to them, "Hey, I can." I check all of the skills boxes here and you're not going to get any of the overhead for benefits and all the rest of it. So there were a lot of businesses that would, you know, vet me a little bit, but then take me up on that offer. Well, that's kind of brilliant. Do you, does that still work? It actually seems like it would. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I, I have no doubt that it would work. Um, you know, that was more when I was definitely in the, the hustle game, so to speak. Um, but yeah, I mean, as far as some of the things that I still share free and publicly um things like when i found that craigslist is a good resource early on and that i used to do it there all the time um because what happened would be big brands like canon pga some of these other big brands that i had worked with real early on would post on craigslist get a whole influx of applications and then take their ad down Right. And then they would just say, okay, we've got a whole bunch of people. Let's just vet through these people and see what happens. So I had kind of set up a little alert system for myself to key in on certain keywords um, and specific locations of those businesses. Cause like Canon's here in Long Island, um, PGA, I think was, I think it was in the Midwest somewhere, but I would key in on certain, you know, geographical regions in on Craigslist. To look for those keywords and then ping me as soon as they went live, and then I would just reply back immediately. So I didn't have to scour Craigslist or anything like that. But I built some of these systems into my business, sort of in that vein, 
things on Twitter and other social platforms where I get pinged when somebody's talking about something that I can help them out with. Um, because I'm not, I'm not looking to go knock on doors is really what it comes down to. But if the opportunity presents themselves, I want to be first. Yeah. Well, I'll say the one thing that I think is awesome about just freelancers in general uh, is that it is, it's so interesting to me to think that it was like, scorned or there or somebody would have like kind of their nose up to it in the past, which I get, I'm sure that was the case. I kind of stepped into it more recently and like, you know, kind of went into the you know online business space when I got out of the army. So before that was, I didn't know anything about this space or what people were doing and in, in any context, really, besides what I was reading about a little bit, but actually kind of started starting to go down that, that path, uh, starting 2013, 14, it was just like, the, the world I entered was different, but I think what's really cool and it was like more acceptable. So I stepped into, I would say something that was kind of relatively simple. Like it was, if I could prove what I could do, then it wasn't, you know, it was never really hard for me to get, like get the gig. And then, sure. you know, one campaign led to another and referrals and Absolutely. and all that stuff. And it's, it was, it's, it's great. But I will say this, that I think is great about just freelancers in general. I think it's so great that you can produce income on your own. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's like one of those things that every human being should be able to do. Like, if that, since that's the world we're in, like, I think they also should be able to, you know, grow food from the earth and probably should have chickens and and some other things. But you know, I also think that there's something uh, there's something that I think every person should be able to do, and that's produce income if they need to. Right. You know, and that's what a freelancer gets. Like, yeah, it's hard, and there's ups and downs, and there's dips. But at, you know, the, the freelancer, I think, understands. Somebody who's been doing it for a while knows. It's like, yeah, I eat what I kill, kind of thing. Absolutely. And I have so much respect for that. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's always I've I've had so many conversations where you know people come to me and they're like, you know, I, I how do you get clients? Like, that's the biggest question that I get all the time. <laughs> and I I say, okay, well, how are you getting clients now? Right. Like, or, you know, that kind of a thing where, you know, people come to me looking for a silver bullet on whatever it could be, especially clients or leads or, or sales, like how to close more deals and that thing. And I say, well, one, stop talking to me about it and go call some people. Like that's how you get them. And then you start to figure out a pattern at which you can close those deals and you just go after more of those kind of people. Right. And to your point about, you know, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine, Mike Killen, um, and he's essentially on a mission to get sales training into schools, younger, like not college, but like, you know, 10, 11, 12 year olds, because it's just like spelling sales at some point or another, you're going to have to convince somebody of something, right? Whether it is to hire you, whether it is to buy from you, whether it is, you know, Hey, look, just in casual conversation, I want to go to this movie, right? Like that skill is a basic skill, but you don't learn that. And I didn't learn that until much later in life. And, and it's not convincing. It's just, how do you leverage what you know and your experience to be able to then prove your point? Yeah. And you know, that's interesting. I think, you know, good on him and good at initiative. I will also be taking that into my own hands as, you know, a father and somebody who will teach that to my kids for sure. Like, because I recognize the need of that. I grew up probably like a lot of people did, you know, I got a job in high school. I actually had multiple jobs, but I never, and so I always understood getting a wage. And then I joined the army. It's like, yeah, there's still, you know, it's like, okay, about as bureaucratic you know, you can get and you get a consistent income, you show up, you do the work. Uh, but I never understood those critical like business lessons or just how like, you know, just 
the economy kind of functions that way in the small business like world. And I, it puts you at such a disadvantage because if I wasn't the kind, if I didn't have the the nature I do to be inquisitive and search and also be willing to kind of like run through walls with my head to figure things out, I would have just stayed an employee. And it's like, there's not that there's anything wrong with that, except if that you're, if, except or unless you're forced to, you're kind of like shackled into that and you can't leave and you're fearful of it. And then I think it becomes an issue because you have to be able to leave. You have to be able to make things on your own. You have to be able to produce on your own. I think, I think it's just like a critical thing in the world where we live in, especially like at the end of the day, I think we, we, you, the age you're at, the age I'm kind of at, you know, kind of catching the tail end of that ladder that could be climbed, but it's kind of gone. And, and so the predictability of things is kind of gone. And I think most people are waking up to that. So yeah, I look at it as like, it's not even something that's a nice to have. It's a need to have now. You have yes. to have basic sales skills. You have to have basic marketing skills. You have to understand financials. You have to understand value, right? Right. The difference between price and value. Absolutely. I mean, that, that's a big, big part of the mindset, right? Um, and it's, it's one thing that I try to teach all of my coaching clients, all of my feasters, as I call them, um, is stop looking at your competitors and what they're charging. Look at the return on the investment that your clients are looking for, right? What is, how important is the thing, whether it is a line of code, whether it is designing a logo, whether it's rebranding, whatever the thing is, it's important to them in some sort of fashion. And it boils down to their bottom line. It's your job as a professional to get to that number, to get to that bottom line reason, um, you know, whether it's more customers, whether it's, uh, you know, more customers faster, you know? whether it's saving time, which increases their profits, right? All of these things are your job to dig in and find out about. And it's not about the tech at that point. It's just about business. And you have to understand what's important to a business before you can even say, hey, it's going to cost X dollars to do this. Um, so yeah, to your point, price versus value um, is, is, a, is a huge, huge thing that uh, it's a mindset that somebody, once you turn that corner, because it took a while for me to do that. But once you turn that corner, you never look back. Yeah. And I think even to some degree, I'm not, I don't even consider myself there, there. Like I look at myself as like uh, still an amateur in that realm, still trying to, I see, I think, I, I mean, I, in, in spite of that, I think I've, you know, been successful in my own, in my own ways, but I still struggle with that sometimes. Like, because it's it's not easy. Like we can no. talk about it. It's a conceptual thing, but it's like, but in practice, in life, you see the price. You're you're built and designed to see the price. That's what you're. That's like our society, our culture. It's it's embedded in us. And so to understand value, some people get it, man. And 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 they just I think maybe maybe it is a natural thing, or maybe the family they grew up in, and it just clicks. For a lot of us, for for those of us, I think anybody maybe that grew up like, especially if it was like middle class working, like you you earn you earn an income from somebody's paying you to do a job. It's a really hard thing to to change to flip that lens. It's not as easy as oh, well, I'm just going to look at the value now. There's there's a lot that goes into that, like you were effectively just describing, like now that you've kind of got it. But it's such a critical principle, and I kind of think it ties into a little bit about we were talking offline. One of the things I kind of want to get to is this idea of like kind of where you where you build your platform, how you establish yourself, and and value is a good place to kind of kick it off. I, I guess my my question to you is when you say you work with your feasters and the people you're teaching or you're sharing this with, especially freelancers, how do you help them understand how do they, how do you how did you become begin to understand the difference between value and price and 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 the value of things and how you sell on value versus price? Well, I 
because of the clients that I work with, it's e-commerce clients, right? It's a look, and I get this a lot of times, people are like, yeah, it's easy for you. It's not, right? To your point, it's a very, very difficult thing to do. But what happens is I realized that once I started hearing about this value pricing thing, right? And there's a lot of people that talk a lot about it. Um, and what I did was I knew that because of what I did, directly affected the money that was coming into the business. Let me figure out what that equals, right? Like, so I, you know, let's just say for sake of example, I build a optimized checkout page, right? And where I reduce the forms, all, you know, form fields and do all these optimization tweaks to, to increase the likelihood that somebody's going to buy. Well, it's just data at that point. It's how many people bought, right? Beforehand, how many people bought afterwards? And if you didn't change anything else, you have the number there. You know how much value you brought to the equation there. So once I realized that and I could see that happening with my clients, that's where I started talking about things a little differently during the sales conversations. And even before that, it was more about how much is your customer order value or how many customers are you getting per month? What's your email list size? You know, all of these kind of data points that I could then do some napkin, quick napkin math on to find out how important it is to the business, not just that they wanted to redesign, right? And I always try to show examples, right? So one of the examples I show is a, a lot of times I got people saying, hey, I want to do a redesign of my website. Awesome. Well, before we dive into a redesign, that's going to cost, you know, let's just say $20,000, why, why do you think you need to redesign at this point? And then we kind of go back and forth and it's, it's, I'm going to simplify it here, but I just keep asking why and why and why. And eventually they're going to say something to the effect of, well, our sales are starting to decline. Things might be dated. Uh, we're looking to get 20% more money from the same period last year, whatever it is, there's going to be some sort of figure there that says, aha, that's the important part of the equation here. So now once you understand that, you could say, okay, price anchor that to the value of the solution that they came to you with, right? So if I can turn around and say, okay, instead of a redesign and you're looking to increase 20%, if I do several tweaks to your product pages, to your checkout process, your cart, all of these things that I know will affect the bottom line in a positive way. And I can do it for $5,000 and it takes me a week and a half to do. The client is going to say yes, automatically and get them to 20% a lot quicker than if I did a whole redesign that's going to take a couple of months to do. And then they, it's going to take them even longer to recoup that $20,000 and the math just doesn't work out. It doesn't make it a no-brainer for the client to then go ahead and say, yeah, let's do this. Because what the client ultimately wants is their transformation. They want a better business, right? And they're looking to buy that better business. And they don't care how they get there. They just want to know that they're going to get there. And if you could prove that you can get there with a lower risk, and that's sometimes less money, that's sometimes less time, whatever that is, and you could prove that with a track record of previous projects that you've worked on, then, then it's a no-brainer because I could jam in a whole bunch of those $5,000 projects 
in the course of two months than a one project that I have to focus in on for $20,000 and the profits for me are much better. So, and so if I understand that correctly, you'd rather go with the bigger one, right? The bigger project. No, I'd rather go with the smaller one. Mm, okay. And that, that's is okay. Yeah, yeah, explain that a little bit more because I, I think that that seems kind of somewhat counterintuitive. Right. Because the thing is, is if I already have built out smaller projects in the past and I know what I could tweak right on the website, then I'm just rinse and repeating with other people. I've already done it. I don't have to pave the way. And then it's also a shorter time period for me to do that. So if I keep optimizing my own processes, let's say I could whittle that $5,000 project down to a week. But if the $20,000 project takes, let's say, eight to right. 10 weeks, right, right, and right. I can only focus in on that one project, I might be able to do six or seven $5,000 projects at one time in that same time period. I'd make more money and more profits. But let's, okay, so let's zoom in on that then. To, to, let's say we're riffing on that idea. Like I'm a freelancer, I'm listening to this. I like, I love that idea conceptually. Maybe some people are listening to this have been in, in have gotten offers for both or, 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 or done jobs for both, like the bigger ones and these kind of smaller ones. So we're all on the, on the same page. What do you have to do to organize and optimize then to be selling that $5,000 package, we'll say, or that offer? Like what are the things that are critical? You mentioned a couple of things and I'd like to kind of dig into them because you mentioned a repeatable process and you know, those kind of things that kind of is focusing in on one area, but maybe you can kind of elaborate on that. Like what do we do to actually say, like set that as the target? like these smaller but still profitable jobs that you can do more of and you can scale more easily because you can, you can get better and better at them and they're an easier sell. I know that's a big question. That's huge. It's like, tell me everything you know, Jason. <laughs> sure. I'll sum up a, a decade's worth of experience. In there it. we go. Give it to me. Um, but I mean, to, to, it's, it's, it is hard, right? And what I mean, and it sound, I made it sound oversimplified, but what it really does is, it says, okay, I know that let's just take one project, right? One of those smaller projects. Well, I know if I make a certain couple of tweaks to the design of a product page, I know if I change the cart page and eliminate a whole bunch of other things on the cart page where the checkout button stands out. And then on the checkout page, I eliminate a whole bunch of unnecessary fields like Mr. and Mrs. and all these other things. It'll also do things, right? So now I've written code because for me i focused in on woocommerce right that's when i start and i mentioned earlier on that i niched down a few times i've niched down on woocommerce so i write that code once and now i know that okay all i have to do is just kind of install this code on any woocommerce site and it affects the checkout and the cart and the product pages in a way where okay i wrote it once client a paid for it it took me a week and a half to do. I installed this on client B's site. It took me now a week to do because it's already written. I know it works. And then on client C's site, it might take me four days to do because I've done a little bit more tweaks and things to the code and made it even better. But then to your point on the business side of the processes to help optimize and prove that this stuff works, I've built in touch points after I've worked with the clients so that I can get the data back, right? I find out how this has affected them 30 days later. I ask them for testimonials. I ask them for quick 
a couple of sentences based off of some prompts that I give them as <clears throat> what challenges they had, um, what hurdles did we overcome uh, in the project and why it was important to the business. So asking these kind of questions and getting this data on the back end of it after I've already done the work allows me to have that proven track record. And that proven track record is how you get more clients. Because by me focusing in on WooCommerce, I, people were coming to me saying, I hear that you're the WooCommerce guy. I became referable at that point. If I was just the e-commerce guy, you know, I'd be getting Magento. I would be getting Spree. I'd be getting a whole ton of, you know, maybe even Shopify clients, like a whole ton of different things that wouldn't really fit for what I was doing. But because I was focused in on WooCommerce, the code that I was writing, I knew whether it was on client A or client Z's site would work just fine. So narrowing and focusing. Does this? How? What are your? What's your take on? Um, you know, in terms of like, like that makes perfect sense to me. Like, and like the developer space, um, anything development related. How about for freelancers who are doing things like, uh, maybe I, I don't know how much of a difference this makes, but like if they're doing like copywriting or more marketing sales type stuff, or or that's probably one group, and then maybe another group is like, I don't know, design. Well, no, we'll just zoom in on that one. Like people who are doing like copywriting, marketing type stuff. I, I feel like. Um, you're, you're working on something kind of technical, you're putting it together, you build it and it's out there. Um, if you're kind of more on the copywriting side, it's going to be kind of front facing towards the, the client or the customer. Usually people hire you to like make sales. I would, I would, I would put myself in that bucket, not as a copywriter, but um, still in that, 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 that space. Do you, does this change at all? Do you, would you, uh, and, and what, yeah, what are your recommendations for the people who fall into that bucket? Yeah, I don't, I don't think the theory changes. Mm -hmm. Um, because I always said, I always say that businesses, when they presented with a problem, they go looking for the solution or the service to, to solve this problem. They fall into three buckets. They fall into one bucket is they want more revenue. The second bucket is they want to save time. And the third bucket is they want new revenue. Right? So if you could figure out what it is, which bucket they fall into, then you find out what's important to them. And it's funny that you mentioned copywriting because it, that that whole space has always intrigued me a lot. Um, and I've had great conversations on my own podcast with several different uh, uh, copywriters. And I've asked that question. I said, so how did you niche down, right? Similarly, how I did it, that's how they do it, right? I'm a SaaS copywriter. I, you know, I work for uh, you know, SaaS businesses and I help them improve their sales. So they know what works in that specific space with whatever copywriting that they're doing, whether it's email-based, whether it's front-facing on the web you know, side of things. So they know what works and what doesn't work. So now they can go ahead and position themselves in that market to say, hey, look, you know, they've optimized their processes. They don't have to relearn everything, every single client. It's a matter of just implementing the things that they know work, staying away from the things that they don't know, and continue to do that iteratively over time to improve their results. So I think the method is still there. It's just tactfully, it's what are you building? You know, what are you providing to your client that's slightly different? Does this change at all um, when it's uh, consulting, advisory, coaching? Or does that change the nature of the game enough where it's like it, it, it may apply, but not necessarily like your focus is more on people who are doing implementation work? Yeah, I mean, I think it does change when you're doing consulting and coaching because one, uh, consulting and coaching is you don't have that tangible thing at the end, 
right? right? Like you have those, you have like an action plan or some, some thoughts and some feedback loops to go off of, but there's no tangible thing there. But in my own experience, and this is what I'm learning, you know, now more because I am doing more coaching is that instead of saying that I'm a coach for freelancers, I'm a coach for developers and designers because that's the market that I know. When, you know, I, when writers and SEOs come into my space, I can only suggest and help them so much. Whereas in the design and development space, I could go a lot deeper because I'm there. I know I understand both of those positions in the market a lot better. So I think I think what it, what it comes down to, and like I said, I don't have all the answers on the coaching and consulting side because I'm still very much new to that space. But um, it's it's where I feel that you still do have to to specialize. You in order for you to grow and become you know better at it, you really need to understand the space and the suggestions that you're coaching in. That's a really hard one. How, how, when when somebody's done freelancer coaching or kind of and and they've done like a multitude of things, most freelancers, most uh, coaches that I run into, will it maybe I don't want to group them together, but I will, and and it's a little rough around the edges. But we'll say freelancers. A lot of them, if they haven't, if if they even if they do get narrow enough where it's like okay, web designer, they might. I, I, my experience has been that many of them still find themselves designing all sorts of different things. Mm-hmm. Instead of like say picking WooCommerce or something like that, or getting really sharp and, and pointed and narrowing in, um, and especially for the person who's just getting started, it, I know it's a scary prospect if you don't have a track record to say, oh well, these are my best clients, so I'm going to focus in on that. So I guess I've kind of a two part question. One is for the person who's just getting started, how do you recommend they approach the idea of like kind of niching down and focusing? And then if somebody is kind of established and they have have they have a track record of success, but they've done a multitude of jobs. Um, how do you approach that in terms of like you know helping like if if you were to suggest to them and and presumably you would um, if if they're if if they're struggling a little bit we'll say if things are going swimmingly then they can disregard but for that person who's established in a lot of stuff knows it's kind of exhausting they want to zoom in but they don't know where our questions I don't know which which one's easier to tackle first but I'd love to talk about both those sure yeah I mean great questions the the, let's let's approach the the, the new person first. Um, the new to market is is tough. You gotta kind of you know, like, and you understand this. It's just like you gotta go through boot camp, right? Like you're gonna have to take your licks and work on projects that you don't want to work on mm-hmm. to keep the lights on, right? Um, to do the things that you need to do to earn your stripes, so to speak. Um, but in the midst of that, you can also be aware of what you're working on that you do enjoy and what you work on that you don't enjoy so much, take note of it, be tactful about it, create yourself a list in your notebook or a Google doc or whatever it is of just characteristics of clients that you like and dislike and, you know, make a, a list of red flags so that when you go talk to the next client, that if they kind of tick a few of those boxes, then you maybe stay away from them. Um, it's hard to ramp up and really say, I'm only going to work with this kind of client because you need the money. You need to pay your bills. You need the lights, you know, to be able to you know, get on the internet, right? So you, you can still focus down and niche down or specialize your business when you start out, but you are going to have to be a little bit more flexible. Now, on the other side of things where you're a little bit more experienced, you 
feel like you're, you know, you're working 16, 20 hour days almost. And you feel like you have 12 bosses and, you know, it's like, where did I go wrong after a couple of years? Like I I'm making money, but I feel like I'm just working ridiculously and I don't have the freedom that I thought I was going to have. So where did I make the right when I should have made a left? And that's really the types of people that I help because I was there. Um, and I've, I've sort of built out this framework initially to figure out what, who your ideal client is. Um, and it came by way of accident, if you will, um, because I hit a wall in around 2012. Um, it was again, two years where I was like burnt out and I was kind of chasing my tail and I had just proposed to my wife at that time. And, you know, I said, I'm going to go back and get a full-time job because maybe this is just not for me. And, uh, you know, she's the level-headed one, wants to know what's going on. She told me that, well, that's not what you want to do. I know that, you know that, so we'll just figure it out. So for me, I had to figure figure it out because I was like, this woman's about to marry me and told me not to get a job. Like, who does that? And so I literally sat down for a week, several hours a night, looking at my business and analyzing clients and analyzing projects and personalities and like all of these things, really just trying to figure out what was going on and what, what I was doing wrong. And what I, was, what I happened to do at that point was distill down one, um, clients that I enjoyed working with and clients that I didn't enjoy working with. And two, the common characteristics of each of those things. And what, what came out of that was how to focus on a specific kind of client that meshed well with me. Um, and I teach this, you know, both, uh, you know, through podcasts through resources online, but also for my coaching clients as well is that I basically just have this, if you just bring out a piece of paper, fold it into quadrants and spend 10 minutes focusing in on the types of clients that you enjoy, just list them out, bullet list, spend 10 minutes doing that on the top right side, do the opposite clients didn't you enjoy working with don't talk about reasons why but just list them there and then underneath each of those things look at all of the bullet list items if you will and see out of about 75 percent of them what are the characteristics in each of these things and what you get at the end of that is is a list of one your red flags so that if this type of client starts coming into my business, I'm not even going to worry about it. I'm going to refer them away or whatever it is. But if these other people, there's this other bucket of people that you now can go and head and target. Maybe they're online businesses. Maybe they're e-commerce business. Maybe they're, you know, real estate. You know, who knows what what you're going to find as a common element. But you're also going to say, I love people that I love to work with people that enjoy being outdoors. I, I enjoy people that, you know, go to comedy shows, right? Like you'll find some weird things that then personality wise, if you're going to be working with these people, you have to get along with, right? Like you have to be able to laugh with them. You have to be able to have a conversation where you're not stepping on each other's toes, those kind of things. So all of those things matter and make an impact in business. And that I've done that several times for my own business. And each and every time it's given me direction to go or not to go. Do you find that that process is helpful with having a third party? Like whether it's you or somebody else, like 
because I, this is something where I, I know even myself, I have the reflection of like, I really struggle with trying to figure out my own stuff. Sometimes if I'm just my own sounding board and I know when I've talked to people like this, the same deal. And obviously when I could be that third, you know, I can be like that, that, that mirror, that reflection or that analytical person for somebody else. It's usually really helpful for them and vice versa. But what, what's been your experience with something like that? Even going through that process has actually seemed fairly simple. I think a lot of that somebody could just take and, and do that portion by themselves. But what's been your experience? How, how often do we just kind of get in our own ways? And, and even if we have the data in front of us, the information in front of us, we, you know, our preconceptions, preconceptions, fears, et cetera, kind of like still influence and, and, and make it difficult to, to answer that question and actually zoom in and, and niche down. Yeah. I mean, it, it's extremely hard because we're so close to it. Right. And that's why I think it's, it's important to get a, a, you know, another pair of eyes on that piece of paper to see what you don't see. Um, you know, for me, it was my wife. Um, she was the one that highlighted some of the personality things that I didn't really notice. And it was more of like reading between the lines, right? Like she was saying like, okay, looks like you wrote down a whole bunch of people that, you know, are like, you know, less than 10 employees. They work virtually, you know, like she was pointing out these things. I'm like, yeah, it's there in black and white. Why didn't I see it? Like, you know, and other things, you know, personality wise too. But, um, you know, to your point, I, I put every single coaching client through this initially. I mean, this is the first step that we do. So I can see that piece of paper. Um, so we have that starting point and I've been able to key in on things that, you know, my, my, my coaching clients didn't, um, case in point one, one, one client of mine, I happened to notice that they enjoyed working with women owned businesses in the greater Boston area. And I said, have you thought about that? No, I didn't. And that's an easy enough thing to target and go after and, and talk about. Um, so it's one of those things where a third, uh, another set of eyes can make a huge difference because some of the things that is, stands out may not stand out to you. Yeah, man. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. Well, this is, I, I know I could keep riffing on this um, and go deeper and deeper, but I want to be respectful of your time. I think this is a great deep dive into kind of this, not only world of freelancing, but just how to think about narrowing down and niching down something that's been on my mind quite a bit recently. So this has been really fascinating to me. Um, but but when people are listening to this, they might be curious. So I know we got some freelancers in the audience and, and some people who are, are curious about going this route, You know, having more time, more more money freedom, more time freedom. If people are interested in connecting with you, reaching out, where, where should they go? And uh, what's the best way to, to connect with you? Yeah. Um, best place to go is res.com. That's with three Zs. Um, and I, I mentioned Feast a couple of times. That's res.com slash Feast. And that's our coaching and community platform. There's a course element to it, but it's more of like a, a college, a university, if you will. Anytime somebody buys in to it, they get a one-on-one call with me and I kind of meet them where they're at try to figure out a custom syllabus, if you will, um, mm. to figure out you know, exactly what's going to help them and make them an impact as early on in the process as possible with all of the resources. Because Feast has about 75 plus videos at this point and, and resources and lessons and downloads. And it can be overwhelming when you first go in there, but not everybody is in the same place. So you, know, you may want to start at step one, but you may not need it. Right? Maybe I could get you to step 12 and I, who knows the, the 
what's behind the scenes more than I do, right? So having that coaching call, and then I hold you accountable to a lot of things throughout the course of your membership there. So we have quarterly calls and monthly calls and all of these other things where I'm there with you. I'm helping you build your business um, and make that impact. I want you to reach the goals that you set out for when you first decided to go down this road um, and live the life that you want to design. So I love it. Well, Jason, thank you so much, man. This has been really a, a great pleasure talking to you. I, I've learned a lot. I know the listeners have too. So thank you so much for being on In the Trenches. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Are you trying to grow your online business, but struggling to get new customers consistently and predictably? Are you tired of working nonstop only to see your income plateau? Are you ready to step off the hustle hamster wheel, as I call it, and step onto a path of predictable profit that you can scale as much or as little as you want? Don't worry, you're not alone. I've been there. When I first got started, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. So I started reading blogs and listening to podcasts by people I respected and wanted to learn from. I slowly but surely put their recommendations into practice. But because I wanted to do it all myself, maybe you, you're something like that, right? And you love to do, do it by yourself, learn through trial and error. Well, bottom line is it took forever. Results were unpredictable when I was first getting started. I wasn't sure where to spend my time, money, and energy. And shiny penny syndrome got the best of me on more than one occasion. For many entrepreneurs, the amount I sacrificed, working literally nonstop in some cases in my spare time, and 12 and 14-hour days routinely after going full-time, combined with the endless fog of war, aka that uncertainty that I had to deal with at all times because I was going it alone, I think that would have been enough for most entrepreneurs to throw in the towel. But I was persistent, focused, and I stayed humble. Day after day, I worked to grow the traffic to my website, increase my list of subscribers, and generate a healthy living for my eBooks, eCourses, and other digital products. At least that was the goal. But maybe more important than the work was that I paid attention to what I was doing, including what worked and what didn't. Eventually, I discovered a predictable pattern of growth. And so what I did was I just doubled down on those things, and I scrapped or sidelined the other things that weren't working so well. Finally, two years after resigning my commission as a captain in the army and going full-time on my online business front with my blog, with my podcast, etc., I replaced my income with digital product income. Two years. And so if that's where it stopped, I would have been happy with it. I would have been happy with the results. I wouldn't have complained. I would have been very content just replacing my income. But the bottom line is it was so much work. I wanted to you know, see if it could go somewhere else, right? So I just kept doing what I was doing, but better, faster, and more effectively. Again, just kind of applying the same system that I discovered uh, from seeing these patterns emerge, right? So I implemented it. I kept doing it. And eventually, replacing my income turned into doubling my income. And then that turned into a little bit more and a little bit more. But not just that. It afforded me the freedom to dictate my day and also choose the projects I want to work on, on the schedule and on the timeline I want, and to work with the people I want to work with. And to me, that's like a whole new level of freedom, especially coming from the military. It's something I've never really had that level of complete autonomy until I became my own boss. I started my own business. And until ultimately, until it became profitable enough for me to start to take a step back and actually reap the rewards of it, because it's not all just working, working, working. And I do believe it's hard work. And I'll always say that nothing about doing this stuff is easy. But at the same time, you've got to reap the rewards at some point and take some of that profit, uh, even if you're just reinvesting it into new assets and things like that. Bottom line is, it can't just be work, right? Entrepreneurship and business is about that result that occurs, the value you've created and the profit, that, that piece of value that you've captured, okay? 
And you want to be able to reap the rewards of that profit, of that value, that little sliver of value that you get to capture, that you get to net, right? You want to be able to take advantage of that. Otherwise, you know, the entrepreneurship game really does become just a grind. And, and for, I think, a lot of entrepreneurs, unfortunately, it becomes meaningless, and that's when they quit. Well, for me, I love this stuff. I really, truly do. I mean, it is my thing. And so that's why I didn't just stop where I was at. I've stayed committed to learning everything I can about all aspects of this online business world and this online marketing world. And I do this through real world application. In other words, I'm currently growing several online businesses and I'm always putting my ideas to the test in real time with my own money, with my own time and energy, oftentimes with employees, you know, a lot of some, some stuff more advanced, some stuff more simple, but you know, so varying levels of complexity and again, in different spaces, different niches. And I can say, you know, bottom line, I've always loved the startup hustle, but I got to say, it's nice to now be in a position where I can get big results with much less effort, thanks to having built the foundation of my business the right way. And again, I did it all through trial and error, but I don't think that that's the way that everyone needs to do it. And in fact, looking back on it, if I had to redo it, I don't know if I would. It was so difficult to just go it alone and try to figure everything out by myself. So one of the things I've tried to do is give back with this podcast, with my blog, and with my newsletter. But maybe even more rewarding than any of this stuff, while I've enjoyed all of it, I think the thing that I'm enjoying the most, that I find most engaging and rewarding, is the premium business mastermind and coaching program I run called 100K Academy. Inside 100K Academy, I help ambitious entrepreneurs who are very driven and excited to be doing what they're doing. I help them grow their reach, their influence, and their profit using my proprietary marketing system. That's the same one I use to scale my own online businesses from zero to multiple six figures and beyond, and the same system I use to help my clients reach the New York Times, Wall Street Journal bestseller list, set Kickstarter funding records, and create viral product launches that have turned into predictable revenue streams. So lots and lots of case studies that you can find at tommorcus.com. If you're curious, just go to tommorcus.com slash about, and that'll get you started. Most importantly, this system is one that 100K Academy members and alumni have used to achieve tremendous results, like Alexa, who used it to have her most profitable year ever, or Tina, who used it to make five figures from a sales funnel that she can now replicate and scale, and that's exactly what she's doing, or Carrie, who made over $75,000 in just seven days. And the crazy part about his story was that his online business was actually a side hustle up until that first profitable launch, which he has then been able to grow and scale. And he subsequently quit his job following that very successful week. And I think that that has been just a game changer for Carrie and the life he's living and the work he gets to do and the impact he gets to make on the world because of the great work he's doing now, because he was able to figure out a system that would get him the targeted traffic, the subscribers, the sales to grow a profitable online business. Bottom line, if you want to grow your online business from six to seven figures, but you flatlined or you're struggling, or you just want to be told what to do and when to do it and in what order, right? And you want a system that is predictable and scalable and isn't just you know another shiny penny, but actually will fit right into your business. It plugs in and is something that you can truly grow. I want you to go to tommorcus.com slash academy. That's tommorcus.com slash academy. Academy is spelled A-C-A-D-E-M-Y. Go to tommorcus.com slash academy, and you'll find a page on my website with more details about 100K Academy, the business mastermind coaching program I run, as well as instructions on what to do next. Again, that's tommorcus.com slash academy. And if you're serious about growing your reach, influence, or profit, just follow the instructions and we'll be in touch, okay? Again, tommorcus.com slash academy. Go ahead and head over there now. That's it for today. Stay frosty.